0: Every one of you are the body of Christ, and each one of you plays a part in it. So what's your part? No matter what your past is, no matter what your background is, we want Eagle Brook to be a place where you can come and just explore your faith. As you live out your day, take that small step to show someone you love them. What if we were all praying for each other and encouraging each other and cheering one another on? That would give us such a Part of worshiping God is to bring his love, his light to people by serving them and helping them. You, know, you can't be a follower of Christ and not care about the poor. Because when you have a big church filled with generous people, you can have a big impact. of our campuses, meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. Glad you could join us on a great day. I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online, wherever you might be around the country and world, we're always glad when you can join us as well. We consider you to be a part of our congregation, so welcome to everyone. I'm going to begin today with a question. Don't raise any hands on this, but how many of you like to be first? First in line, first to be seated, first to get a new iPhone, first to get out of the church parking lot? You know, I admit I I like to be first and sometimes I have an attitude about those who are ahead of me, especially those who are in first class on an airplane. I'm never in first class, never even in second or third class. I'm usually in the last class in group number four or five and I'm in the loser group and I usually find my seat all the way in the back uh, next to the toilet and I think about all those first classers who are in first class and I want to be them someday maybe. But 40 years ago, every Friday night, I was first when I suited up for our high school basketball team and waited for my name to be announced in front of a full gymnasium. I was our team's captain and starting point guard, and those were the days uh, when you know I was a little bit younger. And I loved it. I loved every, every, every part of it, the lights, the applause, the national anthem. And the old feeling came back at one of my son's games about 10 years ago because it was parents' night where my wife and I were going to be introduced and walked out to center court. But what I was looking forward to was the Parents' Night Free Throw Contest. And I didn't uh, want to just compete. I wanted to win. I wanted to be first. And so I actually practiced for the contest uh, the day before I got into the gym and I spent a couple hours shooting free throws. And the big moment came. in front of several hundred students, alumni, teachers, coaches, parents, I stepped up to the free throw line with about 20 other dads waiting there, and the deal was one miss and you were, you were done, you were out. And so I shot the first ball and it was nothing but net. But this was a shootout with some really good shooters, a couple of guys who I really wanted to beat badly. Came down to four of us, then three of us. Then there was just two left, myself and a guy by the name of Fred Conrath, who was a great athlete. His son was White Bear's quarterback and shooting guard that year for the basketball team. And Fred and I went back and forth. But on the fourth round, I made my shot, and Fred missed, and I was the winner of the Parents Night free throw contest, and it was awesome. It was just awesome. Yeah, you should. You, I don't know if you should clap for that or not, but it was awesome for me. And I thought that was it, but then they led me over to the scorer's table and grabbed the microphone, and in front of the student body, they presented to me an award-winning trophy, and I raised my trophy high, and people applauded, and that was awesome. Then after the game, the coach congratulated me in front of the players and parents during the, during the post-game ice cream party in the teacher's lounge, and that was awesome. So I started looking forward to next year's contest and couldn't wait for that, so I could put that trophy next to the trophy I already had, and I still have it. It's right here. Isn't that amazing? Love this thing. I just keep it and cherish it, and I'm going to put it right there so everybody can kind of admire it through the whole service. But isn't it true we often, most of us, enjoy being first, and gang, there's nothing wrong with competing for first. I mean, the day we started giving out participation ribbons for just showing up, I mean, come on, that was a sad day in America, but what I'm learning, all right, I have a few fans that, all right, there's hope, there's hope in the world. But what I'm learning is that when I'm first, always first, somebody else has to be second, third, or fourth. And you know what? That's hard on people. It's hard on my marriage when I insist on being first and getting my way. It's hard on my family. It's hard on my colleagues at work. People who always want to be first often don't like to share or you know, submit or give and are often so full of themselves there's not much room for God. Because it's all about me and being first. And so in this series called The Test, I'm raising the question, who or what is first in your life? Who or what is number one? It's a big question. Because I think whatever is first in my life, whatever takes first place, whether it's entertainment or my career or money or the uh, social life or my possessions or my home, whatever it might be, whatever takes first place in my life will usually drive my life, will determine the outcomes in my life. The Bible says that God wants to be first because when God's first, everything else falls into its proper place. When I invite God to be first in my marriage by reading his word and trying to conduct my marriage in a godly, holy, submissive way, that's when life starts to gel. When I invite God to be first in my family and how to raise my kids and into my decision making and in how I spend and use utilize money, the Bible says that's when life will begin to go well for me. Look at Deuteronomy 30 says about this. Moses says, "Today I am giving you a choice. It's a choice that we all have. Between what? Between prosperity or disaster. It's your choice." between death, life, or death. It's a choice. How do we make this choice? Well, love the Lord your God and keep his commands. Key word, if you do this. If you love the Lord your God and keep his commands, you will live, and this word is not just to be alive, it's the fullness of life, and the Lord will indeed bless you. The Bible says that when we love God and make him first, He will bless our lives in every way. Now, it doesn't mean we won't have problems. Every one of us has problems. You do, I do. It doesn't mean he's gonna make us rich. It simply means that God will take care of us. And friends, this is so important because for some of you, life isn't going well. You don't feel blessed. And money is a constant source of tension. There never seems to be enough. And it's the number one stressor in your life And usually, when we talk about money, you know, we focus on things like our budgets and debt and spending, and those things are really, really important. But in this series, I'm going a little deeper than that, because when it comes to our financial stress, can I tell you, it's not even a money issue. It really isn't. It's really a trust issue. It's, can I really trust God with my life? Can I really trust God... With my finances, because God makes a promise all throughout scripture that if I make him first in my finances, then he's gonna bless every part of my life. Now I know whenever we talk about money in church, it's a sensitive issue. And people get upset and they say things like, I knew it, all he wants my money, and I get that. I do. I I see some of the prosperity preaching on TV, it makes me sick. So I understand some of those sentiments, but but out of 38 parables that Jesus told, out of 38, 16 of them addressed the issue of money. Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. So if Jesus thought this was an important topic to talk about, we need to address it every once in a while. And the question I'm asking today is, what does it look like to put God first? The Bible says it starts with what's called the tithe which simply means a tenth or 10%. God says tithing is one of the truest tests of putting God first, of our love and loyalty to God. Deuteronomy 14, 22, look what it says. Moses says, you must set aside a tithe or a tenth of your crops. Again, this is an agrarian economy. This is this was their economy, their money, if you will, their crops and, and livestock. So set aside a tenth of your crops. Of all the crops you harvest, bring it to the place God chooses for his name and be beyond. In other words, the place of worship. Bring it to the storehouse, the temple. This applies to your grain, your wine, your oil, the firstborn of your flocks. Again, this is all their economy. Now look at this statement. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always keep God first. The purpose of tithing is to always keep God first. Now, what is tithing specifically? You remember last, if you remember last week, let's say God gives you $10, okay? And I have $10 bills here. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. For those of you who weren't here last week, it goes like this. God says, look, it all belongs to me. I gave you the ability to work. I gave you a mind and a body, and I've given you life everything belongs to me. I am going to bless your life and give you $10. All I'm asking is you take one-tenth, one of those dollar bills, and honor me with it. You know, give that, set that aside, one-tenth. Make sure you put me first, and you can do whatever you want with the other nine, whatever you want to do. In fact, if you do this, God says, I will so bless, the other 90% that you won't have room for it in your life. So that's what God says about tithing. He says the purpose of tithing is always to keep God first. Now, why does God say that? Because, friends, money is God's main competition for our hearts. It's the main competition. Jesus said where your money is, that's where your heart is. Money is God's main competition for our hearts. she says, that's why. Keep me first with this. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7. Nobody can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot. You cannot serve or love both God and money. It's got to be one or the other. Can't, you can't, it can't be done, Jesus said. And so... What's first in your life? Is money first or is God first? You know, if money is in first place for you, how do you you feel about that? How's that working in your marriage or with your kids or deep down in your soul? If money is more important to you than God, is that something that you think God is going to honor and bless in your life? God says, look, the purpose of tithing, of giving back the first tenth of all you earn is to always keep me first, and when God is first, friends, everything else, I'm telling you, everything else falls into place. Now, whenever I talk about tithing, people look at me like I have two heads because it's it's so counter everything that we're taught and told in culture. Culture says you should keep everything that you have. You should try to accumulate more and more of what you have. Keep it for yourself, but the Bible says just the opposite. Malachi 3 says... Bring the full tenth into the storehouse place of worship. God says, then, when you have applied this step of trust, then I will open the windows of heaven and just pour out so much blessing. You you don't have room for it. Proverbs 3 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth first, then, then your barns, your life, will be filled to overflowing. Friends, there is a God factor associated with tithing that some people don't take into account. The Bible says that when people entrust him with the first 10% of all they earn, God then blesses them back in unexplainable ways. But I'm telling you, it comes down to this little word called trust. Do I really trust and believe what God says in the Bible is true? And do I believe it enough to actually do it. Let's say you have two Christ followers, they love God equally, but one of them trusts God with tithing, the other doesn't. The low trust person says something like this, I've got to get from A to B in my life financially, and it's going to take 100% of all I earn to get from A to B in my life financially. So I am not going to tithe because I need 100%. Okay, that's the low trust person. The high trust or the full trust Christian says, look, I'm actually going to believe, I'm gonna trust what God says in his word that if I set aside 10% and honor him with that, that he's going to then with 90% take me from A to B on 90%. And then as my reward God is going to, in an unexplainable way, bless my life, and he's going to take me from B to C in unexplainable, supernatural blessings and favor in my life. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to trust him, and he is going to take me, my life, from B to C. I'm telling you, every single Christian I've ever known who's honored God with the tithe has told me B to C stories where God has shown up and put incredible favor on their life, favor on their kids, on their marriage, on their work, answered prayer, new opportunities. Now, what's humorous about this whole deal is both these Christians think the other one's completely nuts. Okay, the low trust Christian looks at the full trust Christian and says, Are you kidding me? You're gonna get from A to B on 90%, you're an idiot this low-trust Christian says about this high-trust Christian, but the full-trust guy looks at the low-trust guy and says in a little nicer tone, no, you're the idiot because all you're ever going to experience is A to B. You're going to totally miss out on God's favor and God's amazing blessing in your life. You will never experience the fullness of God's supernatural uh, activity. And they both keep thinking the other's an idiot. And what I want to ask all of you today is, what kind of idiot do you want to be? <laughs> Seriously. I'll just say it, I, I, I want to be the full trust idiot. Frankly, I've been that kind of idiot all my life. Since I was a little kid, on my paper roll, age nine, giving 10% right back to God. I could keep you here for hours telling you B2C stories in my My entire life has been a B2C story and I would never do it any other way. Honestly, even if blessings were not promised by giving 10%, I would do it anyway simply because God asks me to. I would obey him. He has poured so much blessing into my life, my home, my health, the abilities he's given me. I've got an amazing wife. And children and church, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die for me, for my sins, so I could be forgiven and gain eternal life one day. All he asks financially is I just honor him with the first part. Friends, I've done that all my life, and so have my children. Now, one little quick example of God's B2C protection and provision in my life. Three weeks ago, I was in the woods cutting some shooting lanes for deer hunting, and there was one branch about 18 feet up that was in my way, and I had to get it down. So I shimmied up the tree, stood on a couple of branches. It was a little iffy, but this branch that I needed to get down was still out of my reach, but I had to get it. And so I reached for another branch to pull myself up, and it felt like it was solid. So I put all my weight on it, but it snapped. And suddenly, no kidding, I was in a free fall, and I was up so high, I had enough time on the way down to think, this is really, really bad. (laughs) This is not going to end well. I kind of hit the tree, spun around, bounced off a couple of limbs on the way down, finally bounced off a big log on the ground and landed with a thud. And I laid there on my back, waiting to see what was gonna be broken. And my dog, who usually could care less about where I am, was right there. And he was in my face. He knew something was terribly wrong. Um, I'm telling you, not a scratch, not a bruise, I mean nothing. I could have hit my head, broken my back, nothing. Now maybe it's luck, that's fine, but there's no way, I'm telling you, I should have gotten up and walked away from that. Now do I know that God absolutely protected me? No, but I'm telling you, all my life, God has just showered his blessing on me, protection, provision, all along the way, not just financial. So last weekend, we threw out a challenge called the 90-day challenge based on Malachi 3.9. Malachi 3.9, God says, test me in this. It's the only time God says this. He says, I dare you, test me and see. If I won't bless you so much, you're just gonna be shocked. And I said, if you weren't tithing to test God, try him. For the next 90 days, we said, try him. Give 10% of all you earn and see if God can't be trusted. So, in addition to all those who already practice tithing, we have great people in this church who understand this already. But can I tell you that 683 new households have signed up and said, Count me in. We're going to start tithing, put God to the test. And I just, can we all applaud for those people who stepped up? Man, unbelievable! Unbelievable. Now, some of you I know, you're thinking, "All they wants my money. Bob wants more hunting gear. There's no bonus in this for me, honestly. If you're worried about that, give it to another church. Dead serious. Give it to another local church. It's not about our church. But if, if, you, if, if you somehow don't trust what we're going to do with it and expand our influence in the world, I mean, give it somewhere else, to another local church, The important thing is you need, friends, you need to tie. Now let me show you how this works for my wife and me. We don't even have this written down because it's so automatic. When you put God first in your life, there is an unexplainable flow and freedom that develops in your life. We've discovered that when you get the God part right, you get your money right, and you get your life right. So here's how it works for us. We've been doing this for 35 years. Right at first check we write, every time we get paid, first check, 10% is God's. Goes right back into the ministry of this church, Eagle Brook Church. Now, the Bible distinguishes between tithes and offerings. So that's just the baseline. So we make an offering, an additional gift, toward our one-by-one challenge. We do this every time we're paid because we're trying to build campuses around the Twin Cities to reach other people for Christ, just like all of you have been reached. We're trying to expand that so others can get in on this. So we, we have an offering every time you write a check. Then we have another offering to World Vision. We support some kids who are impoverished around the world. Now, that's just automatic. We don't even discuss it. <laughs> and the rest just falls into place. So we have a savings. We always save. I've talked about 10, 10, 80. If you get this down... You're going to be ahead of 99% of the people in the world. Tithe 10%, first to God. Save every paycheck you get, save 10%. And then have a ball with the 80%. Live on the rest. Tie 10%, save 10%, live on the rest. We Our dog. We had a vet bill Friday. $250. If you're poor, don't get a dog. I'm telling you, they're expensive as heck. So you can see some of these other things, life insurance, whatever, cable TV, needy SPN and Fox News, hunting stuff, home upgrades, okay, home upgrades. Now, we waited 30 years, well, actually 25 years, until our home was paid off to make any upgrades, and we paid in cash. Every upgrade we've made, we've paid in This is kind of my wife's mystery fund. I don't even ask. So home upgrades, uh, by the way, our mortgage, these are all paid off. Mortgage is paid off. College is paid off for our kids. We have no car payments. The mortgage on our home was $110,000 25 years ago. It was a $150 home. 100- <laughs> that was a shack, actually. <laughs> $150,000 home, okay? Now, we would still be paying a mortgage if we had purchased a half-million-dollar home. Didn't need it. It says something about... What's important? It's nothing wrong with having an expensive home. But boy, you got to get this right. When you get this right, then you can do whatever you want. When you get this right, the God part, your money comes right and your life becomes right. But if you get this wrong, you've got problems. If you don't have God first, your priorities get screwed up, your heart gets attached to wrong things, God's promises get lost on you, and you're totally stressed out. Financial and relational turmoil. I just want to raise a question for all of you as you're listening to this talk. What would your budget look like if we stuck it up here? Maybe we should randomly pick a few of you and just stick it up. What would your, what would your bank statement look like? Would God even show up? For some of you, God is totally missing. And I'm telling you, it is the reason, one of the reasons... Why, life is a struggle for you. You haven't kept God first. God knows that. It's one of the reasons. Had all kinds of stories and emails this past week. Let me just read one real quick. Dear Bob, less than a year ago, my wife and I were in such financial hardship, IRS debt, credit card debt, house car, student loans, you name it. We were very close to bankruptcy and pretty much at a loss so bad so bad that I accepted a job in Saudi Arabia. I mean, that's pretty bad. For a year, just to get our heads above water, I'm currently in Saudi Arabia and watch Eagle Brook messages every week. Every message has an impact on my soul and really spoke to me. This weekend's message was no different anyway. My wife and I decided several months ago that we needed to start tithing. We always gave a little here, a little there, but it was never first, and it was never 10%. Now, even before paying bills, my first stop, my first check is Eagle Brook website, since we started tithing, not only am I able to return home from Saudi Arabia, thank God, I can do so knowing we'll be okay financially. He says, first and foremost, we have a budget that allows us to live on 90% of whatever our salary is. Next, we have a savings account with money in it. We've paid our credit card debt completely, and the IRS is finally off our backs. Oh, and in the past two months, my wife received an unexpected raise at work, and our mortgage payment went down. When does that ever happen, he says. He says. It happens whenever you put God first. Stuff like this begins to happen. So after last week, some really good questions came up. I want to show you a grid to answer some of these questions that you all raised. The grid is like this. You know, we've been teaching about this. Bring all the tithe the whole 10%, the Bible says, not just part of it. So that's the, part, that's the main thing. Bring it to the church, the temple, the storehouse, the place of worship, the Bible says. Bring it so God's work can be accomplished through the church on this planet. If you do, God will take care of you. So one of the questions that came in was this. What if I'm in debt? Car payment, student loans, credit cards. Should I pay off debts first? Should I pay off my debts first? Well, take a look at the grid. Nothing here about paying Your debt's off first. Our first debt is toward God. And I'm telling you, if you make him first, God will help you with your debt. Some people said, what about charity? Does giving toward hospitals, colleges, and schools count as part of my tithe? Once again, look at the grid. Bring all the tithe, the whole 10%, into the church. Nothing here about hospitals, schools, or whatever. Okay? Make God first. That comes after. Charity comes after that. Third, can I start with 1%, 2% and work my way up? Real popular question. Again, the Bible says bring all the tithe, which is 10%. Nothing about you know this gradual. Here's a question that we get all the time. Should I tithe on my gross or my net? Well, here's the deal on that. I think you could probably do either, but you know what? The government takes their first cut. Who is more deserving, the government or God, that's an easy one. So my wife and I have tithed the gross all our lives, and God is so honored that. It's like, no-brainer. Okay? Here's a final question. Isn't the tithe an Old Testament principle, so we're off the hook? Loophole. <laughs> Jesus never lowered the bar in all of his teaching. For example, he said the Old Testament said don't murder, but I tell you, If you're even angry at somebody, you've already committed murder in your heart. He said the Old Testament law says don't commit adultery. But if you have lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery in your heart. You know, Jesus said if someone takes your coat, give them your shirt too. If someone forces you to walk one mile, walk with them too. Jesus never lowered the bar in his teaching. He always raised the bar. Friends, 10% is, I'm telling you, it's just the baseline. It's just where the starting point is. The Spirit in the New Testament is this, 2 Corinthians 9. The Spirit is this. You will be made rich in every way. Why? So that you can be generous. Here's the key phrase on every occasion. Every occasion. Every time. A couple weeks ago, my son, daughter in law, and I were finishing a round of golf, and standing near the bag room was a young high school kid. He was all alone. Sunday evening, wiping off the golf clubs as members finished their rounds. And he'd been there since 10 o'clock in the morning. I asked him. It was 5.30 now. And my son was a bagroom guy years ago, and it's a thankless job. Minimum wage. You get a couple bucks here and there, tip. But every once in a while, at the end of the day, a member would give David a $5 tip or a $10 tip, and it made his whole day. He came home just, just happy and stoked. It was a great day. So a couple of weeks ago, we finished our round, and I usually give the bag guy a couple of bucks just to avoid the appearance of being cheap. But it's also very easy to avoid the bag guy altogether. Just go to your car, get your clubs away. You know, I don't need anybody to clean my clubs anyway. But as I walked toward this this young kid, I thought, I'll give him a couple of bucks. So I opened my wallet, and all I had was three 20s and a one. Dilemma. You can't give the kid a one. I mean, that'd be an insult, but you certainly can't give him a 20. So I put my wallet back, and I thought, I'll just forget about it this time. As I was walking toward this kid, something inside, I think it's God's Holy Spirit, which is the annoying thing about being a Christian. Sometimes God's (laughs) Spirit will say something to you, and you don't want to do it just nudging me inside saying, give the kid one of your 20s. I thought, you, no way. I do not want to give one of my 20s. I mean, you know, violate Bagram pro- protocol. It's way too much. And Holy Spirit didn't care about Bagram <laughs> protocol. I resisted. Again, give him one of your 20s. And then 2 Corinthians 9 Hit me. You'll be made rich. Bob, how rich are you? How blessed. It's 15-year-old kids working all Sunday afternoon. So that. It's not my tithe. It's just being generous. I mean, if you could have seen the look on that kid's face, I gave him a 20. It was worth a hundred bucks. When he got home that night and his mom asked him how his day went, I'll bet he said it was great. Some really cool, awesome, rich guy <laughs> gave me a 20 and it made my whole day. You think God sees that? Think God. Honors and multi- he, You bet he does. There's joy in being generous, friends. But it starts, I'm telling you, it starts with keeping God first. Just try it if you don't. So that's it. God says, test me in this. I will pour into your life so much blessing. You won't have room for it. Try me. Prove, let me prove it to you. 683 new households. Of, I'm praying for two to 300 more. And I believe this so much that I skipped deer hunting last weekend and this weekend so I could be here to tell all of you about it. Just so you know, I'm never doing that again. I'm not. So forget about it. But remember, this really isn't about money. It isn't. It really does come down to, do I really, really trust what God tells me to do? Am I going to trust so if you were deer hunting last weekend, sign up, get on our website. If you don't know how to do that, ask a 12-year-old, he'll show you or she'll show you how to do that. And uh, send me your hunting pictures because that's all I got going for me these days. Anyway, hey, next week we're going conc- to conclude this series. And we're going to make a shift from tithing to being a part of something enormous. This church is a part of something around the world that's unbelievable. And you're going to want to be here. It's going to be a fantastic weekend. Did you, jo- did you enjoy today? Good day, wasn't it? Let's all stand for closing prayer. Be on our way. God, thanks for uh, your incredible love for each of us. And again, we do, we do think of those who are suffering today around the world. And there is evil and there's good. God, as we think about the church, it is your tool, it's your vessel, to bring hope and light to an increasingly dark world. And so, as Christians, help us, God, lead the way. And I pray that you will give all of us courage to trust you, beginning with what's closest to our heart. God, thank you for all those who get it, and are generous already. I also want to thank you for those who are struggling with this issue or struggling financially, God. I just pray that you will guide them and lead them and turn that situation around for them. We need you every moment of every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day, everybody.